This is Ringler Radio, where you get all the latest news and information about structured settlements from Ringler Associates, the first name in structured settlements, helping injured people and their families since 1975. Ringler Radio is made possible in part by Allstate, American General, John Hancock, Liberty Mutual, MetLife, Mutual of Omaha, New York Life, Pacific Life, and Prudential. Now join Ringler Radio host Larry Cohen. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Ringler Radio. I'm Larry Cohen, the head of Ringler Associates Northeast Operations, and we're certainly glad you could join us today. Well, General Motors recently announced a recall of several of its vehicles stemming from an ignition switch problem, which allows the key to unintentionally slip from the run to off or accessory position while the vehicle is being operated. This defect can apparently cause the sudden loss of engine power, braking, and steering, and with a loss of that, even prevent the airbags from deploying. According to a recent study commissioned by the Center for Auto Safety, there have been 303 deaths related to GM's ignition switch problem, and now many families of the deceased or injured are seeking justice. On March 24, 2014, a federal lawsuit, Maciel v. General Motors, was filed in San Francisco by a group of 10 law firms on behalf of 13 car owners in nine states. So today on Ringo Radio, we'll talk about the GM recall, the litigation stemming from the GM ignition switch problem, the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration's role, and ultimately what this ignition problem means for the car giant. And joining me today to help me in that discussion is my friend and co-host Mike Casey. Mike is manager of the Chicago Ringler office. He was previously chairman of the board of Ringler Associates and now serves as chairman emeritus. So, uh, Mike, welcome to Ringler Radio, and it's great to have you with us. Well, thank you, Larry. It's always good to talk to my uh, old, uh, longtime Boston friend. And, and yes. I got to say that uh, at this time of the year, approaching the one-year anniversary of the marathon, that the whole country is proud of Boston and proud of you, Larry. You guys make us all feel great. Well, thanks, uh, Mike. And, uh, you know, Chicago supported Boston last year so well. I remember that Chicago Tribune uh, front page where you talked about uh, Chicago Strong supporting Boston Strong. That was really terrific. Thank you, Larry. It's well-deserved. Thank you. Our special guest today is attorney Adam Levitt. Director at Grant and Eisenhofer from Chicago, Illinois, and a leader of the firm's consumer practice group. He specializes in complex commercial litigation, including class action and mass tort litigation. Adam and his firm are joining several other firms representing consumers affected by the GM ignition switch problem. So, Adam, welcome to the show and uh, glad to have you here on Ringler Radio. Thanks very much. Real happy to be here, Larry. Terrific. Adam, uh, in addition to uh, GM's own documents uh, revealing that it knew about the ignition switch problem as early as 2001. Take us back to when the ignition switch problem was first discovered. Well, that's a fair question because the facts on that are still still coming out. Uh, GM has hidden these facts for a long time, and we believe that it's going to come out. They intentionally and carefully hid these facts at every possible turn, including from the bankruptcy court, including from the, the U.S. taxpayers, including from the public in general. So in terms of when, when information about the problem and the cover-up emerged, that began earlier th- this year. 
And it came up as a result of litigation that my co-counsel, Lance Cooper, and his lead engineering expert, Mark Hood, undertook in the Milton litigation down south. In that case, um, which was a wrongful death case on behalf of, of Ms. Melton's parents, Ms. Melton was killed in a Chevy Cobalt. And through years of discovery, it came out that there was, in fact, an ignition switch problem, that there was, in fact, a replacement part that, for whatever reason, and, and we look forward to finding out what that reason is, General Motors had, uh, had assigned an identical part number to the replacement part and the original part to hide the fact that there was a problem and to hide the fact that there was an additional fix for that problem, which wasn't really a fix anyway. Uh, and third of all, the fact that they were hiding it for, for so long. So while it's a long-standing problem, and I think you've seen from the anger on Capitol Hill, and I think, frankly, it's sort of interesting that when Congress can't agree on anything these days, the one thing it can agree on across, across the board on both sides of the table is that General Motors was and is a, a terrible actor here, and they have a lot of questions to answer. Hmm. Adam, the, uh, the idea that this problem was ignored and glossed over for so long, uh, while it may seem obvious, I think we ought to touch on what would be the motivation behind this by General Motors that they would ignore or, 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 or hide this issue that if they've known about it for such time? I think when you're, you're talking about a company like General Motors, or or any company for for that matter, when they're they're faced with a serious systemic problem that could have an effect on its ongoing operations, just like any person who has a choice, you're at you're at a fork in the road. You could you you could either be honest and step up and take responsibility as all of our parents raised us to do. Or you could act the way General Motors did, and unfortunately, lots of other companies tend to do, and that is to hide the problem, to deflect the problem, to, to lead people down another path for all sorts of reasons, whether it's that they want to present a more positive outlook for the company than they might otherwise have, whether they want to show that they're on the way up again, whether they want to show that their operations um, are stable, or whether they, they simply want to maintain their sales. There's any one of a host of reasons why they wouldn't, they wouldn't step up and tell the truth and do what's right. Unfortunately, uh, and while I think that a company, especially a company bailed out on public tax dollars, and a company that sells such a vital instrumentality, that being, that being a car, that they put on the road for millions of people um, should step up and tell the truth. The, the fact is they didn't, and the fact is we are where we are now. Well, uh, Adam, GM has linked 31 crashes and 13 deaths to the faulty ignition switch, but the study commissioned by the Center for Auto Safety indicates the death toll could be as high as 303. Uh, tell us about that and, and really why that discrepancy exists. Well, it, it's one of those things that once... GM put themselves in this hole, they should really stop digging. And they're not, and except they keep on digging. And the problem is that they're trying to minimize the numbers. They're trying to differentiate between the accidents where 
the front airbags fail to deploy rather than the side airbags. So they're trying to keep it as low as possible. I'm not comfortable commenting on the number of injuries and deaths that have occurred uh, as a result of this problem at this point, because I think the story's still coming out. Yeah. Frankly, I'm getting a lot of phone calls from a lot of people who were hurt. I'm getting calls from families from, from people who were killed. So I think once again, when the story is finally written and comes out, these numbers are just going to be a starting point, not an ending point. Well, Adam, this is Mike. Uh, that that leads into the question. Uh, you've indicated you felt that this is probably the biggest cover-up uh, in U.S. automotive history. Can you give us some comparable precedents or tell us a little more about that opinion? Uh, well, it's funny. Um, I think that in a lot of situations, and I can't give a specific. Obviously, you you, you think of the classic cover-ups in U.S. automotive history, Ford Pinto, things like that. Yeah. I think what you'll, and I think that the other scandals that have have occurred over the past number of years, which actually they don't involve American cars, Toyota, the Audi problem in the mid 1980s. But I think that what you see here, the extent of the cover-up, the number of people involved, and frankly, the situation that this is a company that accepted U.S. tax dollars as part of a substantial bailout to save it, I think that the fact that they breached the public trust as much as they did puts this into a completely different category. I see, yeah. Well, you know, uh, Adam, there are 10 law firms evidently involved in this federal lawsuit, but talk about yours. Talk about Grant and Eisenhofer's role in this, and how did you get involved? Sure, absolutely. And also, just so you know, to clarify, there are 10 firms on the first complaint we filed. There are lots of other complaints that are out there right now, and we're about to file a substantial follow-up complaint with clients in a lot of other states around the United States. But I, I can get to that in a minute. Let's hold off on that question. I'll answer your question first. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell us about, about how we got involved in this case. I'm involved in a lot of automotive cases across the United States against several manufacturers. We, we just settled an automotive class action case against Porsche relating to the use of plastic cooling pipes in its Cayenne V8s for about $40 million mm. on behalf of purchasers of the Cayenne V8s in a variety of years across the United States. So we, we know this area. We're familiar with this area. We have a track record of success in this area. And when the General Motors situation presented itself, I'd like to think that I assembled the best team in the United States to go after this company. Our team includes, as I said earlier, Lance Cooper, who was the lawyer in Georgia, who who first uncovered this problem. Uh, Our team also involves Roland Tellis of the Barron and Bud Law Firm in California and Texas, which is also one of the leading plaintiff's firms in the United States that also brings a wide, wide body of experience on automotive and class cases and mass tort cases to the table. Mm -hmm. And the other firms involved uh, in in our case, the Bartimus Frickleton firm in Kansas City, Spillman Thomas in Battle, and Bucci Bailey and Javins in West Virginia, the... The DiCello Law Firm in, in Cleveland, Joe Sipert's Law Office in Chicago. 
we've assembled, I think, for lack of a better term, an all-star team of trial lawyers who are not afraid to go to the mat with General Motors and get the justice that U.S. consumers so clearly are entitled to here. So we got involved as a result of seeing that our skill set and our clients' desires, because our phones were ringing when this was happening, that we felt that our skill set and our clients' desires made sense for us to get involved. So that's that's where we are. Well, that explains it well, and uh, you were obviously a natural uh, a natural place for those folks to go. Uh, if I could add to that, that, that impressive group is led by um, – a gentleman who's the president of the class action of the trial lawyers, the national trial lawyers, and that's Adam. So that is an impressive group with, a, with great leadership. Thank you. Um, Adam, Thank the, you. Uh, the, this lawsuit's the first and o- only one filed against the GM that seeks to represent all the purchasers and all the leasees of the effective GM cars. Uh, that includes vehicles from later years subject to GM's latest recall. Now, how strong is that position? Uh, is, is, and isn't that a somewhat new position on a lawsuit? Well, let me explain why our lawsuit is different from all of the other ones out there. And in explaining that, I will answer your question in all respects. Uh, our complaint is and was, was and is and remains the only complaint out there that includes facts that are not simply regurgitated from the New York Times or CNN or the Wall Street Journal. Every other complaint out there, and I believe at this point there are about 36, 38 more complaints out there, because frankly, it's not hard to to find a plaintiff in these cases because uh, these actions by General Motors have hurt so so many people. So the issue here is our complaint, because of the work we've done, the experience we've had, our co-counsel's experience, we were able and we are able to bring facts to the table uh, that clearly, clearly differentiate us from every other group out there. And I truly think that when when the court that gets assigned to hear all of these cases sits down and e- evaluates what the different competing factions bring to the table, I'd like to think that quality wins. But in terms of where we are as to why we allege what we did and why our complaint is different, we were able to allege, first of all, that again, unlike the other complaints that simply focus on the the ignition switch itself, our complaint refers to the problem as the key system problem, because we believe that the problem far exceeds the mere the problem on the switch plunger, which is all over the news, because that's only part of the overall system. The, the other components of the system include the placement of the ignition on the steering column, uh, the absence of a shroud or a shield over that, uh, the ignition switch, which as far back as 2005 GM was completely aware that had they put a shield or a shroud over the ignition switch, uh, they could have largely solved this entire problem and saved all sorts of, of lives and accidents and concerns. But from a monetary perspective, they refused to do so. And there's and so there's the issue that what they're doing now isn't enough. Uh, so we'd like 
we'd, we'd like to think that uh, our complaint will seek the, the full relief uh, that should happen here and not just the partial fix they're trying to do in the current recall. To answer your question more specifically, the expanded class, we were the only ones who had the expanded class through 2010 because the original recall only went through the 07 models. And so everyone else ran out because after all, it's what they read in the newspaper and they filed something with a class period through 2007. We saw and we understood that it went through through the longer class period, we alleged the, the longer class period, and lo and behold, about a week and a half later, General Motors expanded the scope of their recall to in- include cars through and including the 2010 model year. So I'd like to think they read our complaint, they realized they knew what we were talking about, and I'd like to think they took our advice. Uh, whether or not that's the case will stand to be seen in the litigation. But mm-hmm. I do think it's telling that we said something that nobody else said, and a week and a half later, GM went with exactly what we said. So yeah. that's why that's why we did what we did. Well, Adam, before we uh, go to break, let me let me just ask you this: there are, you know, several ongoing concurrent investigations right now uh, involving the Justice Department, Congress itself, the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. Uh, what's the essence of all those investigations? How are they, uh, how are they, uh, coming up with the commentary and, 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 and findings that are, that are consistent or, or inconsistent? How, how is that going? Well, what's happening now, you're correct. A lot of people in Congress, people at NHTSA, people are looking at a lot of different things. They want to find out, just like we want to find out, what happened here. Because just like plaintiffs' lawyers, who really step up and defend and protect the public from problems like this, elected officials, in a lot of ways, have very similar interests because their constituencies are very are, are the same people we represent in these cases. So we're all about protecting public here. I think that the difference is that uh, we have the, the ability until the, until the Supreme Court takes it away from us or Congress takes it away from us to bring our clients' interests to court and have a jury trial protected by the Seventh Amendment of the, uh, to the U.S. Constitution. But I do think that the intra- everyone's looking to see and everyone's looking to learn what, what exactly happened here. And I think that one of the interesting things is General Motors has already produced lots of documents and information to Congress as part of the ongoing investigation. We recently filed a motion for expedited discovery in our case in San Francisco, the Maciel case, asking our judge to require General Motors to produce every document they have produced and will produce to Congress over to us so that we can start reviewing them now and figure out what sort of immediate steps, whether it's a motion for a preliminary injunction or something else that we should undertake in in the private litigation uh, to protect protect our clients, the the other class members, and the public in, in general. Interestingly, after after standing up or sitting on Capitol Hill and promising that this is 
new GM and new transparency, and we're going to step up and make things right, the first thing that General Motors and its lawyers did isn't say, you know, Mr. Levitt, you're right. We're going to produce everything we produce to the government over to you because it's as simple as, it's as, simple as copying everything onto another hard drive. They're fighting back. They don't want to produce anything. They want to stonewall. They want to hide. They want to keep this a secret. So as I've said earlier, actions speak louder than words. And right now, their actions are speaking real loud in the, the wrong direction. This is not this is not the new GM. This is not a new playbook. It's the same old playbook that put them in the situation they're in. Very, they got into in the first place. Sounds, sounds like you have a lot of work ahead of you, Adam. Uh, it's... Uh, it's going to be a long slog, I know, to get to the uh, to the end result, but uh, I know you're going to be uh, at it for quite a while with a lot of vigor. Well, let's take a quick break right now and be back in a minute right here on Ringler Radio with our guest Adam Levitt and my co-host Mike Casey. We'll be right back. This is Ringler Radio from Ringler Associates, the leader in the structured settlements profession nationwide. Did you know that Ringler is involved in a third of all structured settlement cases in the country? Ringler Associates works with all the parties in a lawsuit settlement to find the best possible financial solution for the people involved. There's a Ringler Associate in all the major cities of the U.S. No one has more experience than a Ringler Associate. Check out our new website at www.ringlerassociates.com. For the best information for claimants, legal professionals, and claims personnel, and to find the Ringler Associate nearest you. When it's your interest at stake in a lawsuit settlement, you want only the best financial plan. You can count on Ringler Associates to structure a customized plan that meets the needs of you and your family for the future. Visit RinglerAssociates.com to learn more. Well, welcome back to Ringler Radio. Glad you could join us. I'm your host, Larry Cohen, and I'm joined today by my co-host and uh, Ringler colleague from Chicago, Mike Casey, and, of course, our very special guest, Attorney Adam Levitt of Grant and Eisenhofer, also from Chicago. Uh, Adam, it's Mike, Mike Casey. Uh, it's very interesting, uh, and you obviously have... Uh, got a uh, substantial case that you've laid out. I'm, I, I'd be interested in knowing the, the nature of the damages and the recoveries that you're seeking uh, for your clients. Sure. Uh, there's, actually a, there's actually a number of things we're seeking. And let me separate out between what we're seeking in the class action litigation and the separate personal injury litigation. Because in the first instance, if, if, there is, if there is anyone out there who has been, has been hurt as a result of using one of these cars, or if a family member of theirs has been killed, uh, we are also accepting those cases and pursuing those cases on an individual basis for personal injury, wrongful death, uh, and claims like that separately. But let me focus on the class action case also. If you own or lease one of these cars in question, uh, our argument is that every single person who owns or has leased one of these cars has sustained a meaningful monetary loss in that every single one of these cars had the owners known that there was this 
inherent problem in each of them at the point of purchase. They either wouldn't have bought the cars or they would have paid a lot less money for them. So to use the fancy lawyer words, it's a diminution in value claim where we would explain to the court and to a jury ultimately that each of these cars had a substantial diminution in value as a result of the inherent defect in each of these cars from the minute they rolled off of the factory floor. Now, now of course, General Motors may say or the public may think that the problem only arises if the car loses power or if, in fact, someone gets hurt. That's not so. That's a consequence of the the inherent defect in each one of these cars. So every single one of the cars in question is subject to, I mean, has an inherent defect and is part of our class. So what, what we're seeking is is an economic re- recovery for every every single purchaser or lessee of these cars that overpaid or wouldn't have bought it at all. And we're also seeking for the company, General Motors, to step up, as I keep saying from earlier, and make it right by fixing the problem and truly fixing the problem, not just uh, not just doing what the current recall is doing, but actually to put on the the shield or the shroud over the ignition and other steps. So this problem that they created really doesn't happen again and put people at risk because unlike other products that we might be involved in litigation over a defective video game, a defective computer, if something happens on one of those, the consumer himself or herself is hurt with, with a car, a 2000 pound piece of metal on the road, if something goes wrong with a car, it not only puts the consumer at risk, it puts everybody on the road and everybody walking on the street at risk. So it's a very serious problem, and we're seeking to make that problem right. Terrific. Well, I understand that's, a again, that's a very uh, aggressive and uh, interesting approach you're taking, and uh, those people that have come to you and other lawyers and, and looking for some compensation here uh, are going to be well served, and uh, obviously it's a, it's, a, it's a tough fight. Adam, let me ask you this question, because the, the general public out there, when they hear about things like the GM uh, issue, it's puzzling because we have some terrific engineers. These, these auto companies have uh, phenomenal computer systems that create uh, all the, uh, the implications of whatever they're doing. How is it that in this day and age, something so, as you say, fairly simple in terms of its absence from the uh, switch, how can that happen today? What, what, the engi- with the engineering so, so precise, how can a company like GM with all that talent come up with a problem like this? What do you say to that? Uh, what I say to that in the first instance and somewhat offhandedly is, let me sit the engineers down and depose them, and we'll, we'll, I'm looking forward to finding out their answers to those questions. That's a good answer. I like that, Adam. I would say that the, uh, the people out there listening uh, would be well served uh, to get in touch with you. Uh, I, I just got to give you a compliment. The Columbia University Magna Cum Laude and uh, the Northwestern University School of Law, JD, I think you're well suited to, uh, to have these people uh, get in touch with you uh, 
to seek recovery. What's wrong with a Yukon grad like me? Anything anything wrong with yeah. that? Where is Yukon? I, I've heard of that place. <laughs> That's cool. That's cool. Well, Adam, let me let me close here today. This has been a very, very interesting discussion, and uh, I think our audience is going to be uh, very well informed uh, on what the uh, what the problem is with the GM uh, recall, et cetera, and also where to go for uh, for hopefully some uh, some help there. But you have a lot of cases. You talked about the class action. You talked about the individual cases. What are the chances, in your view, uh, that these cases are going to have a chance to settle rather than go through this lengthy litigation process? That's a fair question. I, and I can tell you that we don't file any case that we're not prepared to try. So when we file this case and we view it as the, the first step between now and a jury verdict. So whatever happens in this case, we are prepared to go all the way on this. Whether the case goes all the way stands to be seen. Obviously, it's going to depend on what General Motors wants to do. It's going to depend on what the judge to whom all these cases gets assigned thinks of these cases overall. It depends what the documents in discovery are going to ultimately show. But at at the end of the day, it's hard to say right now what General Motors is going to do, and I don't want to predict what they're going to do. I will say, though, that as I said earlier, with, with this problem being as serious as it is, and GM's apparent apparent screw ups up and down the chain seeming to be really serious, I think that I think that in terms of a customer service and a corporate success perspective, GM should think really hard about what it needs to do to regain the public trust that floss, stand behind products, uh, and 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 take responsibility for its mistakes and compensate people for them. Well, you know, I know a lot of us out there will be watching closely as this thing wends its way through the courts and... Uh and as I said, it's probably going to take some time, but uh, I think we all know that in most of those cases, uh, other cases in the past on other uh, recall issues and other defect issues, uh, companies have stepped up and either settled these cases or or, uh, or uh, in some way compensated the people that were involved, and that's because of the good work of folks like yourself. Adam, uh, thanks again for joining us. If someone wanted to get in touch with you, how would they do that? And give us that uh, website again and uh, also your phone number, please. Absolutely. You can reach me, www.gelaw.com. My personal email address is as follows, levitt, L-E-V as in Victor, I-T-T, at gelaw.com. And our phone number is area code 312-214-0000. Terrific. And Mike Casey, uh, if someone wanted to get a hold of you, how would they do that? Well, I'm also in Chicago, and my phone number is 800-332-0427, and it's mcasey at ringlerassociates.com, and our ringlerassociates.com is a good source for information on structured settlements. That's absolutely true. Thanks, Mike. Uh, Yeah, anyone out there who wants to reach any Ringler Associate around the country can go to ringlerassociates.com and uh, find any of the... uh, Many, many associates we have in all the major cities around the country. And, of course, there's a lot of great information about either the subject of structured settlements or uh, all other areas of uh, concern to people both in the uh, legal and claim business. And uh, 
If you're a first-time listener, you should know that uh, if you want to uh, listen to Ringler Radio, you can go to ringlerassociates.com and to find all of the shows we've done. We've done so many of them. And uh, Or you can also go to ringlerradio.com or legaltalknetwork.com, or you can even go to iTunes, and you can download uh, directly from iTunes. Uh, listen right on your uh, iPod or iPad, whatever you'd like to do, and and enjoy the the information you're going to get. And uh, there's there's a terrific amount of information there, and I encourage you all to do that. And you'll hear uh, terrific guests like Adam Levitt, who uh, today, uh, Adam, we really appreciate you being here, and uh, thank you again for joining us. Thank you, Adam. Thank you very much, guys. And, Mike, thanks for being a great co-host. And as always, Larry, good talking to you. Terrific. And for the rest of you out there, thanks for listening, and go out and have a great day. Bye-bye. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to Ringler Radio. With over a million listeners, Ringler Associates, the first name in structured settlements. Visit ringlerassociates.com today.